Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. So this is going to st- sound more gloom than it, <laughs> actually, than it actually is, but I think it's an important topic. I was having a conversation, we're just jumping right in today's listeners questions, but this was inspired by a client session of mine that I had and like just a general conversation that Dana and I tend to come back to. We feel like often we talk about movement a lot because we have such different approaches and like, and like our journey with movement. Um, And so we wanted to talk about it today and kind of break it down in like a listener's question type of vibe Um, instead of doing a full blown episode just on this, but it started off with a conversation that I was having with a client of mine who has depression is like wants to look into their antidepressant medications and kind of work on it because they're having a difficult time with motivation. And the way that they phrased it was being able to like choose movement. And that was really challenging for them and something they've been really struggling with. Um, and so we started diving into it more and kind of talking about it and saying, well, one, <laughs> I said, one of the things that's really difficult to choose movement when you're depressed, because it feels like a physical, like, at least my own experience with depression. And Dana, you can talk about your own experience with depression too, but we can know and desire to want to do something <laughs> with every ounce of our being, like really wanting to get up and go and get movement in because we know it would be helpful you know, it'd be good for us to move our body and like move our blood and get things, get things going. But when you're having a hard time, um, with depression or feeling this way, it can feel like to me, it felt like a physical weight in my lap that kept me from going and getting up and doing it. And so choosing movement didn't feel like something that was even really accessible (laughs) in some ways. It feels like something that could feel like, um, really difficult to, to, to do. And it's not because the motivation wasn't there. It's because it literally felt like a physical barrier, like a weight of, 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 of like not wanting to get up that made it really hard. And so like when you do, and then if there's any kind of barrier to keeping you from being able to do it, whether it's driving there or like doing certain types of things or, or like for me, one of the, one of the ones I remember really like really vividly for myself is I wanted to go swimming and I really wanted to go. And I kept telling myself, I'm going to go today. Today, I'm going to go swimming. Today's the day. And I put my bathing suit on and I drove there and each step felt like I was constantly trying to convince myself. But when my client and I were talking about it, she was saying how that would come up for her as well. That sometimes what would happen for her is she would say, it's harder for me almost even as the weather gets warmer because it's hot and I don't, I don't want to walk in the heat and I don't want to do these types of things and it's humid and it's uncomfortable and it's like easy. And she talked about it from a, this perspective of she felt like she was enabling herself and like it was keeping her from being able to do it. And then I said, well, let's pump the brakes and bring a little compassion to the conversation too, because when you're going through depression, 
even if you know something would be quote unquote good for you to do or beneficial for you to do, that doesn't make it any easier to execute. And it's not your fault that you're having a difficult time executing it. You have major barriers that are leading the way. And one of the things as we were talking about it, as she kind of like had this moment, is she talked about how her history with movement was also playing a big role too, because she would have this vision for herself with recovery of looking a certain way and it magically kind of ending up there and feeling like she was really far behind. And like, so she would say she can't, it's really difficult for her to meet herself where she is and build up to something or not build up to something and then feel like, well, I'm failing at this idea of what it looks like to recover. Like, I feel like I should be doing 30 minutes of exercise every single day or like at least five days a week. And if I wasn't doing a workout routine or a regimen the way that she described it, she goes, then what was the point? And I, we had this whole conversation. I thought it'd be really cool to bring Dana into this because Dana used to have like a really combative relationship with exercise and then now has like had this whole trajectory and I'm still in the throes of how do I balance this and figure out my triggers with it? Because it does feel like there's like this part of me internally. And I share this openly here. Um, that feels like, Oh hell no. Like I'm not doing it. Like I'm not going to do that. Um, because it almost feels in a weird way, self-protective. I don't know if any, <laughs> I don't know if anyone else can agree with that, but I think the question that we really want to dive into today is how do you find this place where you can choose movement in a way that feels good for you and honoring, also sometimes challenging and pushing yourself when you maybe don't feel like you really want to, and then at the same time also you really do want to, and then how do you make it not an all or nothing, it has to look a certain way kind of vibe. And we hope people can relate to this. Yeah, so we're going to dig a lot into relationship with exercise and the relationship with exercise has to mental health. And actually, in case you missed it, a couple of weeks ago, we did do an episode on over-exercise um, and what that can do to the body and how to kind of like start to find your way out of that. So we will link it in the show notes. Um, but so where I want to start here is acknowledging that whether we're talking about anxiety or depression or you know all of the different barriers like Christina was saying these all play a huge role in terms of making a wall in terms of getting where we would like to go whether it's about exercise or it's about different health promoting behaviors and the thing that makes you feel worse is you know because you've been told however many times and intrinsically you know as well well, when I do go for a walk or when I do do some stretching or when I do, you know, whatever it is, I do actually feel better, <laughs> you know? So mm -hmm. it's like really hard. So then you feel even worse and you beat yourself up even more because on the one hand, you're like, oh my God, I just want to cocoon myself in my covers and not get out of bed today. And the weather can be a huge, you know, detriment or determinant about this as well. Um, but then, you know, at the end of the day, you're like, oh, well, I don't feel any better. And I like actually feel kind of worse. And you're like, well, I know I would have felt better if I just, you know, did some cat cows on the floor or I did a little bit of stretching or I went for a walk or, you know, whatever it is. And then you fall into this like vicious cycle of like, am I doing this to myself kind of thing? Um, and one, you're not. Um, and two, we just want to validate that that is an experience that a lot of people have. And it's very common, right? But the other thing that I want to mention is, for a lot of people, 
in this situation, the even bigger barrier is what is, regardless of anxiety, depression, of anything else that's going on, what is your relationship with exercise? Because I find that is the biggest barrier where if you have, like Christina described mine, used to be a combative relationship with exercise because I had a combative relationship with my body and a really negative body image, whether or not you have anxiety or depression that's standing like a wall in getting in the way or perfectionism or people pleasing or any of this stuff that we commonly talk about on here, whenever you have that precondition of a combative relationship with exercise, even if you don't have any of these things, it's going to make it really hard for you to engage with exercise in a positive or neutral way that can be just a health promoting behavior. Because If in the past you have always tied exercise or working out or whatever it is to body changes or the size of your body or trying to shrink yourself or control your size, and you tend to be a perfectionist because most people that listen to this podcast (laughs) tend to be or at least had perfectionist tendencies at some point if you've worked your way out of it, good luck. Because when you are in this space of trying to improve your mental health you'll hear all of the things like oh just establish a routine and you just have to stick to it and then they sometimes will say like well you don't have to do it every day and the perfectionist in you is like what do you mean I don't have to do it every day (laughs) like I need to have you know really specific structure or this isn't going to work and then you feel even worse about yourself when you're like now I feel bad that I'm not doing the workout and now I also feel bad that I think I'm making myself worse and I'm not sticking to the routine. So it's just like so many boxes that are not being checked, right? But so where I think we need to start is assessing what are our motivations for exercise and looking at the root of this as we always tend to do, right? Like it's not, we can't just be like, oh, I'm just going to go for a walk and it's going to fix my depression. Yeah, okay, in what world? You know, we really have to go to... (laughs) Where where are these different barriers coming from? Where are these struggles coming from? And so I want you to think about like earlier in your life when it was maybe much more apparent or maybe right now when you did have like strife in your relationship with exercise, let's say. For a lot of people, this tends to be when you're either in high school or maybe when you're really young and you were forced into going to some kind of diet program or some kind of exercise program by your parents or your guardians or whatever it is. For a lot of people, this happens in high school or college or right after when you're becoming an adult and, you know, the training wheels are off and you're like, how am I supposed to be healthy? Um, This happens a lot of the time. I talked to a lot of people who were, you know, played sports or were athletes like in, you know, growing up or in high school or in college and then all of a sudden you're thrown into the real world and you're like um how am I supposed to eat how am I supposed to exercise if I don't have a coach or a teacher telling me what to do every single day right it's like the training wheels are off and no matter what situation you come from if you had used exercise as a way to try and control your body or as a way to determine how much or what you were allowed to eat or you only felt okay with eating a certain way if you had exercised. Basically, if we have conditions on the exercise that we're doing, again, going back to the depression, going back to the anxiety, 
we're not even at the starting line because we're so far behind in terms of like you have so many like we commonly say on here there's prerequisites that we haven't even done yet we're not even at the 100 level course and so we're trying to jump into something that is like a two three four hundred level course of having a neutral relationship with exercise or even farther than that being able to use exercise in a constructive positive neutral way to help manage mental health conditions or physical health conditions which commonly go together or all of the above it's like there's so many things we need to address and unpack before we can even get there and if you try to jump to that 400 level class before you've done the deeper stuff or the prereqs you're gonna feel like even more of a failure which feels like even more of a barrier or a boundary before we can get there i'm gonna level with you guys I've done the prereqs and I'm still having a hard time with the the master level course here of integrating this back in. Um, And I think it's because of how triggering it can be. And so I also want people to know too, like meet yourself where you are, no matter where you are in the journey with this and being able to execute what Dana's talking about here of like, one, what work do I need to do prior in order to even execute this? And then how do I then start to do it. And it's a really delicate, I think very complicated thing to do the same way that it can be really complicated for some people with food. For some reason, integrating health promoting behaviors in a way that felt neutral was a lot easier for me to do with food than it has been for me to do with exercise because of my history with exercise. I had, I was a dancer and I never even thought of it as body control behavior in any way, shape or form. I just freaking loved it. I just loved it, worked hard at it, danced, enjoyed it. I loved doing it. I loved swimming. I loved doing all of those things. I was not a competitive swimmer like Dana was, but I loved swimming. I loved doing all those things. And I just loved being a naturally moving my body type of person. And then dance left my life. And naturally, when you go from from moving your body, like Dana was talking about being an athlete when you were younger, um, and, and naturally moving your body a lot and then and then not, your body starts to change and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, maybe I should be doing something about this, <laughs> you know? And so from that point forward, everything that I've ever done with movement was never from a place of like, oh, I really love this. It was all from a place of how do I control my body? How do I lose weight? How do I monitor this? How do I look a certain way? And so when I go back to doing it, it's almost like there's like this part of me that's like, that doesn't exist. (laughs) Like it's impossible to do that. Like it's impossible to like have like a workout routine and have that part of your life, even if it is in health promoting behavior way without it being that because it can be so triggering for me. So I want to tell people that part too, because it is really difficult to navigate. And my, I am right there with you trying to navigate that myself and trying to figure out how do I make this work? Um, because I do like moving. I do like doing it. I know that it's good for me. I know it's helpful for me. I know that I feel better physically, mentally, and emotionally and all all of the different things when I have um, movement that's joyful in my life and that comes more naturally. I feel great when I do that. But there is like this part of me that is immediately sometimes when it when I try to make it too routine, or when I try to do something that's more quote unquote traditional workout stuff, it can become 
incredibly slippery slope to being kind of like triggering and kind of obsessive. So it does almost feel like there's like this protective part of me that's like, oh, hell no, stop. (laughs) Not going to do it. Can't do it. Not going to do it. And so I'm trying to figure out how do I marry what my body wants and what my body needs all at the same time, which is kind of like how we approach nutrition in such a big way. Yeah, so I want to draw a parallel there as well because a lot of people who come to us, and we're going to talk about food for a second here because I think it's rare where I find someone who has healed their relationship with food and their body image slash exercise at the same time. Usually one will come before the other, but you can use the tools that you used in healing one to help with the other, or at least to give you an example of, oh, this is how I've done this before, and we can kind of mirror this in this other area, right? So, but I want to give an example of what that resistance feels like, because I know a lot of you have felt this because a lot of you are our clients, right? So a lot of people will come to us, especially when you've got chronic health conditions or symptoms and stuff like that, is like, I just can't do another low FODMAP diet. I just can't do the gluten elimination. I just can't do this, even though I've been told that if I eliminate these foods, my symptoms are going to get better. This is a very similar kind of gut protective reaction to what Christina is describing of like, you know, I think about going for a run or a bike ride or a walk or whatever it is, and my body is like, immediately no. <laughs> Like because this is a slippery slope and we know where this has gone before, right? So if you feel that way, very common, right? Um, one of the, the main thing that I want to encourage all of you to think about today is identifying what are my boundaries, right? What are my obstacles? Like what are the things that are getting in my way? And it can be what was your relationship with exercise like in the past? What were your motivations for exercise like in the past, right? And if those motivations in the past are butting up with what you want to be new motivations going forward, it may just be the gap between those two you're, that you're having the most trouble with. For some people, this kind of resistance is specifically tied to a type of exercise or movement. So for example, for me, I always hated running. <laughs> I've never been a runner. I always hated it. And then after after college and even during college as well, when I was very orthorexic and had all of this other stuff going on, I forced myself to sign up for a half marathon and do all this training and everything. And I hated running the whole time, right? So even now, I just acknowledge, I fucking hate running. Why would I go for a run? Why would I do that? You know, because if I know right now, if I tried to get myself into a running routine just by myself, pounding the pavement, doing the things, I'll be honest with you, I could do it. Physically, I could do it if I wanted to because I was an endurance athlete my whole life. Do I want to? No. And the thing is too, with a lot of these different cardio type programs and exercises and stuff, cardio especially 
because a lot of us grew up as cardio bunnies, as we used to call them in the gym, right, is <laughs> so tied to weight loss and body control and everything like that, right? So think back to your past, like what what was the type of thing that either if you were, you know, an, an exerciser or a gym person, like what was that thing that you always told yourself you had to do in order to lose weight or control your body? But we also have a large swath of people here that I want to acknowledge who were not exercisers, who were not athletes, who were not active people, right? So I want you to think about what was the type of exercise that you were told you should be Mm -hmm. doing to change your body, right? Or exercise in general. Like if you were told, oh, you should be exercising because it's better for you, you are going to meet so much resistance here because anything then that qualifies as exercise, that protective mechanism is going to kick in and be like, this feels like a PTSD, like a trauma response, basically. So when we're trying to navigate, okay, how can I start to add in? How can I start to incorporate things? Knowing, you know, going back to the mental health conversation, you will feel better if you move your body in some way because it helps your body produce those necessary neurochemicals to enhance your mood, not necessarily change it completely, right? Like going to the gym is not going to fix your depression or anxiety. Let's just (laughs) make that clear. But so when you're trying to think about how can I remove some of these barriers in terms of the ease of me getting to the movement? How can I remove some of the barriers in terms of perfectionism, right? This isn't something that you have to do every day. That's another thing that comes up for people of like, if I'm not doing this enough or I'm not doing this X amount of times a week, it's not going to be worth it or I'm not actually going to do anything. You have to throw that out the window because we're starting at go, right? We're trying to pass go and collect $200, but you have to move to the first square before you can go all the way around the board again. So I want you to think about what is the type of movement that seems less threatening or the least threatening? Because a big piece of this is the nervous system as well. And if your body feels threatened, it's going to put up those protective mechanisms. It's going to throw you into fight or flight. Here's something that I learned about the other day. The more competitive an environment that you are placed in, the higher the cortisol, your primary stress hormone response will be. Which I had never like put that together. But now that I think about it, I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, (laughs) you know, because it's like a more stressful environment, the more competitive it is. And some people will say, oh, I thrive on the competitive nature or whatever. Yeah, because you thrive off of stress hormones is what that means, right? Yeah. It's like an adrenaline junkie. You know, it's funny is I've never heard that like stated that way before. But then once you say it, the minute you said it, I was like, oh, well, no shit. Yeah, right. (laughs) Like immediately that makes so much sense. Yeah. But it's funny because unless it's said that way, you don't really think about it that way. But it does like that adrenaline junkie type of feeling too that you get from it totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to use that as a tool, right, we can use that as leverage, right? You need the least competitive environment possible meaning it's probably just you, right? And I want you to think about different types of modalities of movement or exercise. Not Let's not even go that you enjoy yet. List the ones you hate, right? <laughs> We're not going to start with those. We might not even ever go to those, okay? You don't need to do those. And if you are meeting resistance with this, Because let's say, for example, you used to use running or spinning or swimming or whatever it was for the purpose of trying to control your body or I should be doing these things. If all of those are on your I freaking hate this list, that might seem scary 
but here's a light bulb moment for you, then you're still tying exercise to the size of your body or to trying to control your body. That's your barrier there, right? Most likely, not 100%, but pretty good educated guess assumption here, right? So then we start to think of other things, like what about just some gentle stretching, right? Maybe some walking if it's not 100 degrees or 10 degrees outside, right? Maybe it's you've got some stuff at home that you can use, like a couch that you can stretch on, right? Or anything like that. And if you need ideas, reach out. Anything can be considered movement. Going for a hike, walking in the grocery store, dancing around your house, walking around when you're super pregnant can count as movement, (laughs) you know? Any of this stuff. And you need to start thinking about like, what are the things that bring me joy? In general, in life, not talking about exercise, right? Because not everybody likes to move. I am one of those people who likes to be a mover, right? I like to be challenged. I like to, you know, do strength training and, you know, all of this different stuff because it's something that I enjoy doing. But that doesn't mean that I always want to go to the gym. (laughs) That's funny. Uh, That is not something that most people can relate to. And you don't. Going back to Christina's original question of like, how do I marry my body's needs with my body's desire to sit on the couch when my body's need is I need to move (laughs) kind of thing. Um, In my personal experience, well, first you need to figure out what's the type of thing that I'm going to engage with here. And then it's a trial and error period of, okay, what works for me? What works for my limitations? If it's either like space or time or energy limitations or pain, you know, physical pain is a big one that we have to navigate around as well. Um, Or if you have kids that are going to be crawling all over you when you are trying to do some yoga or stretching or whatever it is. But then also after we've kind of found our way through that, what is my body like? What feels good in my physical body and what feels good mental, emotional wise? What I have found for me is doing something like some kind of stretching in the morning or like walking my dog or something is very similar to taking a multivitamin. You don't really notice when you're doing it every day or a couple of times a week or whatever it is, at least if you're doing it with some kind of consistency of how it's affecting you. But as soon as you don't do it for like two weeks, your body's like, why are you doing this to me? And that's a (laughs) sign that that's something beneficial, right? Now, here's the thing, the meeting your body's want to move or want to not move <laughs> with the need to do something is eventually, and again, this is the 400 level, having some kind of flexible structure is going to be the key here. So for example, granted, I'm a single person and I don't have any kids. Every single morning, I take my dog for a walk, mostly. Uh, let's say weekday mornings because I don't do this on the weekends, right? Um, is that's part of my like pre-work routine is I take my dog for a walk because she is a crazy nutbag if I don't. So she's going to be messing with me the whole day when I'm trying to be on client calls 
if I don't do that. But it's also great for me because I live near a park, right? If you live near a city or you live in a city, probably different, right? But I live near a park, so I put on a fun podcast or some music or whatever it is, and I go take her for a 15, 10-15 minute walk in the morning. And then if I'm like, wow, my hips are really tight, which I, if I'm going to be sitting all day or something like, hmm, doing five minutes of stretching, probably going to go well. If I have more time, probably 10, 15 minutes. Is there resistance every time that I do this in my brain? I'm like, I would rather just go sit down and eat breakfast. (laughs) Yeah, but I know as soon as I sit down on the mat, I'm like, oh, okay, I remember why I do this. And then afterwards, I'm like, okay, now my body remembers why I do this. And I feel so much better. But again, that's just one example. Do I do this every day? No. Do I feel bad if I don't do it on one day? No, because again, this isn't tied to perfectionism. It's not tied to the sides of my body. I know that it helps my mental health if I do this, but I also know I'm not going to spiral out of control if I don't do this for a day, a couple of days, a week at a time, because that's where you have to have that built-in flexibility. That makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that I was, excuse me, like kind of like reflecting on when you were talking about this too, is that I think even sometimes at least for me, even like taking our dog for a walk can feel exhausting. Because I have, you know, as you guys all well, know, you have I, a big dog. A, I have a big dog. She also is the worst on the leash. Like she pulls the entire time like a lunatic. And then um, I have a toddler and so sometimes and a baby and the mornings are a really hectic kind of time for us. And so sometimes it can feel like kind of challenging in order to kind of get get things going and get myself going. But one of the things that I've been kind of dabbling with thinking about too, as far as like having the internal energy to kind of move is thinking about it from this perspective. And I shared this with a client of mine is that when my, like when my blood feels stagnant, like IE, like I feel like I'm sitting and like not doing anything, my energy, my physical energy also feels stagnant too. And so one of the things that I've been kind of playing around with that I think is accessible and can feel a little bit more gentle in some ways is thinking about it like if my blood is moving, then my energy is moving and then I can get more energy just from having my blood be kind of like pumping a little bit. And so I'll think sometimes like, what does that look like? Sometimes that's like putting on some music on our, in our like, Google playlists in the morning when we're, when we're getting Elodie breakfast and we're having cereal in the morning together. And it's just like something that literally makes me feel like I can bop my head. Like it can be that gentle. And then who knows where that can lead? Like some clients of my, one of my clients, I love this about her. So she suffers with depression and she decided we were having this conversation about, about if my blood is stagnant, then like my energy is stagnant. And if I can get my blood going a little bit, maybe I can increase my energy and maybe things will feel more accessible was one of the things that she did is she set up her Alexa t- to have a wake up song <laughs> and it's like her like pump up fun song and she'll literally lay in bed and she'll watch like she'll like feel her toes start to bounce <laughs> and then she like feels her body start to move and all the different things and I think that that was such like a fun and accessible way to start to bring movement in and then eventually like you said like it's like you remember Every single time that I've done some form of movement, other than what Dana's talking about with like, um, like other than the times when I have 
done something that was triggering and my body's like, oh, hell no, it became too metrics based. I always feel like, oh, yeah, that's why. <laughs> that's why we do this. This is why this is helpful for me because it helps me feel better. But it can feel really difficult. And so one of the things that I, I find for myself personally and that I encourage other people to do too is to really meet yourself with as simple as it is. Maybe it feels daunting to go and take your dog for a walk and then stretch for 15 minutes beforehand. But does it feel daunting in the morning if you feel glued to your bed to start to like flex and point your toes or like rock your knees from side to side? Could it feel like something you can like rock your head side to side and like slowly kind of start to like feel your body move a little bit and just see what happens. And then from there, is it accessible then to feel like, oh yeah, that feels kind of nice. Maybe I'll get up. Like, oh, that feels kind of nice. Maybe I'll get on the floor and do some cat cows. Or maybe I'll stay on the bed still and do some cat cows. You know, like maybe that's where I'm at. And I just wonder if like, if people start to meet themselves a little bit more in that place, I think choosing movement will feel much more accessible and it will feel a little bit different. And who knows what it's going to lead to. It doesn't have to lead to some kind of like strict regimen of any kind. We don't need that. Like I think we're trying to move away from that. And I like what Dana's talking about too, about at some point you get to this place where like, oh, wow, that's just kind of part of my morning vibe. And then also too, like creating, sometimes we need to, like Dana and I have talked about with with um, being intentional with food is sometimes it's helpful to create a schedule for our meals and a plan that's flexible but supportive and making it accessible to ourselves. How, what do I need? What tools do I need available in the home to make a meal that's really nourishing and makes me feel good available? What kind of tools do I need available in the home to make movement feel more accessible and more joyful for me? What kind of, what kind of barriers are coming up? Do I need to set a routine for like when we have groceries delivered (laughs) to make sure that there's food available in the refrigerator? Do I need to create a schedule for days when Casey picks up Elodie from school and I'm swimming instead? You know, like little things like that, like things that you can kind of think about from that perspective and bringing it in a way of like, without it feeling, and this, again, again, this is all things that I'm personally working on. So don't, I'm not telling you that this is like the be it and end all, it has to be this way, but more of a invitation, you know, my favorite word, um, to kind of think about it from a place of, okay, how do I make other parts of my life feel a bit more easeful and being able to marry what my body needs and what my body wants all at the same time? How can I bring that here a little bit? And also, too, sometimes, we've talked about this before, we have to be intentionally flexible. And sometimes we have to be intentional in how we're choosing certain things. And I think sometimes that can feel really messy. But if you feel like things are becoming too rigid, it's your time to evaluate that and say, I need to be intentionally more flexible here. If you're intentionally really flexible all the time and you're having a hard time even just stepping into doing something, that's where it's like, I need to be more intentional about making the space for this in my life and kind of pushing yourself along the way and finding the tools that you need in order to support yourself with that. Maybe it's as simple as maybe I do need to find a non-diet trainer or a weight inclusive trainer that I can have a, a session with where I know that I'm meeting with them and that's just something that I like I'm going to show up for them because I'm paying for them or whatever that helps you kind of step into that place. Maybe I need to make sure that I have a day of the week where I don't see 
where I start work a little bit late that day and I go swimming or whatever it is that you enjoy doing, thinking about it that way and kind of coming at it from where can I bring intention where I need to kind of push myself and motivate myself a little bit more because I know this is what my body needs and requires to feel like my best self. And then where can I be intentionally flexible if I'm becoming too rigid and perfectionistic around it? And it's hard, but it's, yeah. a, it's something you learn. And, you know, another thing to bring it back to as well is like, this is for you, right? So a lot of the time when we're thinking about barriers with exercise, it's because we're measuring up against something that we've been told we should be doing or we're competing with someone else or we're competing with our former self. Oh, I used to be able to do this. Like, why can't I do it now? You know, it's a lot of external bullshit basically. And so you need to ask yourself, like, what do you need? You know, what do I need? And you might not know the answer to that yet, right? But what you can do is when you're trying out all these different tools and, you know, tricks and stuff that we've been talking about today is like, okay, but does this feel good in my body right now? What do I need right now? Tomorrow doesn't matter. Yesterday doesn't matter. Six years ago doesn't matter. What does my body need right now? We talk about this a lot when we're talking about um, stress management tools and stuff. Like what do I have the time to do? What do I have the capacity to do? What do, they have, what do I have the energy to do? What does my body need right now? If you're at a level 120 on the stress scale, but you have zero time to do anything about it, you're going to need a different tool than if you're at a level five on the stress scale and you have an hour to go to a yoga class if you want to. It is so situational, right? And then the other thing that I want to think about is a lot of people get hung up on this as well is what counts as movement, mm, right? Like what counts as movement, you know, was that, you, this is so toxic, like uh, the notion that like, oh, it doesn't count unless you sweat or like, you know, I talked to clients in the past who were, you know, runners or, you know, like anything. They're like, oh, well, it doesn't count if I haven't gone for, you know, X amount of miles or whatever. And again, this is all external measures of, how you want to feel internally, right? Like that doesn't, there's a certain point when you're a certain type of athlete that you can be like, okay, I need to know that I need to walk for 20 minutes to clear my head. That's an example, right? But when you're starting at the beginning, how could you possibly know that, right? There are some times where you can say, okay, well, I'm going to walk for 15 minutes today and see how it goes. And then maybe a couple weeks from now, I'm going to walk for 25 minutes and see how it goes. But you need to be able to do that unbiased, internal kind of check-in and see, how did that go? What do I need today? You know, there's no notion here of like, was it worth it? Or that wasn't enough unless I do this. Get rid of the metrics, you don't need any kind of like, oh, well, I have to do, you know, X amount of pounds that I'm lifting or I have to walk for X amount of miles or I have to run for X amount of time or whatever it is. It's different if you're training for something like a 5K and you like have to run a certain distance. Okay, yeah, but we're not talking about that. <laughs> we're talking about just at the very basic like elemental level, I'm trying to move so my blood feels less stagnant, so I feel better in my body, so my mental health can have a chance to have a break kind of thing, right? So take away the metrics as much as possible. And then another tool like Christina was saying is like, if you hate 
doing things on your own, which aside from walking my dog and stretching, I hate doing any kind of exercise or anything on my own. And I think one of the reasons is when I was deep in my eating disorder, I would force myself to do these like at home, like intense workouts and whatever and all this stuff. And I always hated it, but I forced myself to do it because I thought that's what I should be doing. And it was the only thing that I had time for. I was like, well, I got to get it in somewhere. Again, external bullshit and stuff. So you want to try and take away as many barriers as possible. You want to make it as easy as possible for yourself. So like Christina said, if you need if you've never exercised before, first of all, would highly recommend finding yourself some kind of body positive, non-diet personal trainer. We've had a bunch of them on the podcast. Even if you don't live locally by them, they do virtual sessions um, and they can help you find people by you as well. I would highly recommend doing that because the last thing we want to happen is you try and jump into something new and then you get hurt, right? So please try and find somebody who can help you with that. They can also help you figure out some kind of flexible structure. And the most important thing here is to be as honest as possible with you. Here's the thing is you don't know that person. They don't know you. If you don't like them, you never have to see them again. So it doesn't matter if you say any crazy shit to them. Just be like, this is what I need. And they are there to help you. You are paying them to help you. If they're giving you something that you don't want, you have the option to walk away and find somebody else, right? It is their job to give you what you need. So be as honest as you feel comfortable being, but be honest about what you need, right? Like you don't have to go into, oh, this is my whole history with, you know, all of this food and body image and stuff like that. If you want to, go ahead. One thing you definitely need to be honest about is any injuries that you do have, right? Be upfront and honest about that. But I would say that would be kind of a first step. Or you can also do at-home yoga classes or, you know, there's so many resources for like, non-diet and again we've had this too non-diet dance classes or yoga or anything like we've had so many of these people on the podcast as well that we can link um and they offer virtual sessions or they offer virtual group classes and stuff in that environment you can try to do stuff on your own but you're like oh that movement doesn't vibe with me I'm just not going to do that one and then you don't have the awkwardness of like okay well I'm just standing here doing something different in a class full of people and I feel like everyone's looking at me but another you know again two three hundred level Example I would give is where I was going with this before is I hate doing stuff on my own. I always, almost always go to a situation where I'm doing stuff with other people because as someone who has been an athlete my whole life and been a coach my whole life, the last thing I want to do is unless I'm going for a walk is to come up with something to engage my body. I don't want to think anymore. I want to show up somewhere And somebody's going to be like, we're doing a downward dog. And now we're doing a forward fold. And now we're doing this. I'm like, great. I don't want to think. I just want to be here. (laughs) You know? But that, that has to come with an awareness of, again, I am here for me. I am here to do what my body needs, which means I need to honor my body's needs. Which means if, for example, I'm having some wrist pain and they're telling me to go into downward dog, I'm going to do child's pose instead. Or I'm going to do something else, right? And that's where it you have to have, you know, a more of a upfront and honest conversation with when you're going to a class of like, hey, I'm here for me. <laughs> you know, you are my guide. 
But this person here, me, this is the number one instructor, right? Yeah, you know your body better than anyone else does. Yes. And I think that's like an important thing to remember too. And one of the things going back to Dana talking about what if you were to hire someone to kind of work with you, I think one of the things that you should be the most honest about is your relationship with 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 exercise and your past relationship with it. If you have a personal trainer or someone who you're working with who's trying to put you on metrics and metrics are really triggering for you, you need to <laughs> no. say something. You need to say something like, I can't do that. Like, that's not for me. I need something else. I remember working with a personal trainer after I had Elodie for a couple, like we had joined a gym with my parents and I loved it because he didn't do any of that at all. Like, he was just like, here's an idea of things that you can do. This would be really great to kind of move your body, get moving, blah, blah, blah. And it was so refreshing. It was like probably my first time with anyone who didn't say like, and then you're going to move to this at this point. And then you got to move to this weight at that point. And it has to be like in this order. He just said, you might eventually feel like this weight's easier for you. And then you might be able to like level up a couple pounds. And he's like, but you'll get to see, maybe you're going to stay at five pounds for like the next six years. Who cares? And it was really, really nice to have that. It was my first experience with that. And so if you're not getting that, advocate for it. Mm-hmm. Find a new person or tell your person, hey, that doesn't jive with me. Like I need something a lot more flexible and a lot more laid back. I'm just happy to be – I just want to be moving. Like, you know. Um, and if they try and give I, you nutrition advice, be like, I already have someone for that. <laughs> yeah. And they didn't either. They didn't do any of that. They were, It was so refreshing. Maybe it's because they knew I was a nutritionist. <laughs> <laughs> but – it was so refreshing. He was, he was, it was so nice. I wonder if I still have like the, the, the things that he recommended, but it was so refreshing and so laid back and it was really enjoyable having that. And I think everyone needs to advocate to have that. Um, especially because of me, I think had they did that in the first session, I would have never showed up again and I would have ghosted them and I would have been like, I hate this gym <laughs> because it's like that protective place in me from previous things where it was like I couldn't I was definitely a cardio bunny during my during my heat of quote-unquote like I'm obsessed with exercise and everything was driven off of metrics like everything was driven off of like how far did I go today how many calories did I burn how long did I run like what was this like all of those different types of things and so for me it's like everything in my body is like do not pass go and that comes up um and but also at the same time my body also like oddly is like but I need those in order to know what to do. And it's like a weird balance. So if you have that happen, navigate it for yourself in the same way that like when we tell people like, what's it, what should my plate look like? Or how much food should I have on there? Like what it is, or how am I going to know like what to do if there's not like a clear cut plan and like how to eat? There are tools that are available to you to be able to understand or here are ways that we can work on these muscles or here are ways that we can build a nourishing plate for yourself and bring in more neutral nutrition education and understanding without it being like, this is how you have to eat every day and you're not allowed to eat these things otherwise. Too rigid, too triggering, too diety. Flexibility is key. And I'm along for the ride with you guys. So here's the thing is you all know how we talk so much about neutral nutrition and using food in a non-diet, non-all-or-nothing way. We need to have the same conversation about exercise. Our goal is to make exercise a tool that we can use if we want to, in a structure if we want to, always with flexibility, right? 
more and more people have started to talk about neutral nutrition, thankfully, and using nutrition in a non-diet way. But more of us need to be talking about, well, how do we use movement in a non-all or nothing way? Because just as much as food is talked about by the diet industry as being like, oh, this is good and this is bad, same thing with exercise. If anything, it's more black and white because it's like exercise is good and not exercising is bad. That would like be saying if it, you know, with the equivalent to the nutrition industry, like food is good, no food is bad. But it's actually not that simple, <laughs> you know? It's a lot like, more complicated. Oh my God. It's just, you know, it's a lot. And this would be a whole separate conversation of, you know, like a, again, 700 level class if people wanted to talk more about like, okay, well, how do you incorporate things like strength training or like going to classes consistently or like how do you go somewhere like a power yoga class or a CrossFit class or whatever and still maintain this non-all or nothing mentality? It takes so many years to get there, right? Like I am there and I have been firmly there, but it took me a long time to get there, right? So like don't be aiming for the stars if we're still underground, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. And the truth is maybe you'll never get there. You know, I think that's another thing too is like maybe you'll never okay. want to do – and maybe you never want to do that. I think that was another thing that one of my – circling back to that client, the original conversation with my client about this too is that one of the things that they mentioned too was sometimes even the pressure of feeling like I'm supposed to end up at this place can feel kind of overwhelming too. And so one of the things we said was, well, let's take that pressure off. You don't have, it doesn't have to ever look that way. All these little simple ways of getting movement in and moving your, moving your blood and having it less stagnant and all the different things we've talked about throughout this isn't necessarily supposed to be like a feeder school into having a workout routine that you're sticking to every single day. It's not meant to be that way. Who knows what will happen for you? Who knows what your body will crave and what your body needs and what your body wants and what you desire and what you enjoy? And that's up for the journey to discover that. Not not any way of saying, well, this is what it will ultimately lead to and it has to lead to that. No. I think taking that kind of pressure off is huge. We have to learn to tune in so we can figure out what does my body actually want? Because you're never going to know, you know, what is my final destination? If we keep getting hung up on that, that still to me seems like we're using these external factors to measure where we should be or where we should be going. Or, you know, like you said, your client mentioned like these external pressures and stuff. That's all external stuff. Just like we talk about with food, when we have these external food rules and shoulds and diets and everything, it prevents us from being able to hear that internal voice of this is what I want and this is what I need, right? So again, going back to the invitation <laughs> of my favorite, let's, let's think about what's getting in our way, right? Always from an aspect of curiosity, not judgment. And here's a permission slip to be like, it is okay wherever you are and wherever you ultimately end up. Because if you can remove these external barriers one by one and all these shoulds and oh, what this should look like and everything like that, and you allow yourself the space to try different things and say, oh yeah, I like that. Or no, immediately no, we're going to leave that to somebody else. You will allow yourself the space or you can allow yourself the space to figure out, well, what feels good for me? What fits into my life? What do I like? 
because it's never, we're never aiming for like, oh, I want to be in the gym seven days a week and blah, 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 all this stuff. We're not going there. Most people, unless you are an Olympic athlete, are never meant to be there. And even (laughs) Olympic athletes cannot sustain that. This is a whole different conversation about professional athletes and everything like that. There's a reason they're all in their 20s and, you know, young 30s and everything like that. But permission slip to guess, just give yourself the space to be okay with taking away the shoulds or what counts as movement or is it worth it? Or, for example, I, w- I want to give another example of something that another client had said to us, right? Like, I know the value of exercise. I know it's good for health. But if body change is on the table, I don't want to do it. In that statement right there, I see your boundary is the body change, right? And so this, we're not even at the exercise conversation here. This is a body image conversation that we need to be having, right? Or people are like, oh, well, you know, I do the walks and stuff, but I feel like I should be doing more for my health. Why? Mm-hmm. then we start to see, okay, I associate with doing certain kinds of movement or certain types of movement as these are the ones that are better for my health. What does that mean? You know? Or there's even like a contingency on there too. Like what I heard when I heard that was like an undertone of, well, I'm doing these things, but I'm not getting the under the surface outcome that I'm ultimately looking for, i.e. body changes. Mm -hmm. So therefore it's not good. And that, that also shows up too in eating disorder recovery in a big way as well, especially, um, in like when you're implementing, there's like an undertone sometimes around, well, when you recover, you might lose weight or your body's going to change. And, um, and it sounds like that could be coming up there. And it's like, okay, well, how is that limiting me? How is that keeping me from being able to enjoy where I am right now? And how can I explore my body image at that point too? And I think those are like really important conversations to be having. But I think the first one like Dana's talking about is 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 really honoring like, what do I enjoy? What do I want to feel like in my body? And how do I want to start to explore this relationship with movement in a new and exciting kind of different type of way? And um yeah, I think exploring in that way and how can I choose movement in a way that feels aligned with me um, and feels like something that I would I ultimately would like to do in a way that doesn't feel that all or nothing perfectionistic should external kind of view of like what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. So we also have free resource for you guys today. Um, This is an exercise that I commonly go through with my clients when we're working through our relationship with exercise. Um, We're going to have a PDF for you guys that'll be linked in the show notes that is some reflection questions to evaluate your relationship with exercise and movement and help you have more clarity around what are my boundaries or what are my barriers, I guess, right? Because... These are going to be the most illuminating and helpful things for you to move towards a more neutral relationship with exercise. Because before we can get to neutrality, we have to identify what is preventing us from getting there, right? We can't just expect, oh, well, I'm (laughs) feeling really depressed or I'm feeling really anxious and I know I would feel a lot better if I, you know, did some yoga or went for a walk. Okay, well, 
we can agree with that statement. And we can also say, but there are things getting in my way. And if it's this, you know, protective mechanism that Christine has been talking about a lot of like, oh my God, I can't do that. No, that doesn't feel good. We need to lean into that and say, okay, where's that coming from? Because otherwise we're just going to be stuck in this limbo of like, well, I feel like I should be doing something, but I can't do it. So now I feel worse about myself. Mm-hmm. We went so, way yeah. longer than I thought we were going to go. <laughs> oh my God, me too. I was like, I thought we were only going to do like 15 minutes and then <laughs> go to the next thing. And then I'm like, oh, it's an hour later. Well, clearly, we needed to talk about this. So we hope this episode has been helpful for you all. Um, We're happy to do more kind of off-the-cuff discussions about this. We had planned to do a whole bunch of other questions, but clearly we're not going to get to those today. Uh, We will get to them eventually. (laughs) We'll get to them again when we return at the end of August. We're going to be taking a summer break here um, in a couple weeks. And so... Yeah, if you have anything specific you want us to follow up on around this, please email us, send us your messaging and Instagram, all the different things, and we'll be returning at the end of August and ready to rock. And so we would love to answer any of your questions, um, see what you guys have implemented with this and like what's worked, what hasn't worked. I'd love to hear that from you guys. Um, So yeah, have an awesome summer. Enjoy and see what comes up. Hey friends, it's Dana, and thanks for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends, subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and if you can, we would absolutely love it if you left a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies with wholehearted eating. If you're interested in learning more about how you can work with me or Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling or checking out our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com. And we'll see you again here next week.